0: Thanks Matt, that was, that was a fantastic introduction. Um, as you mentioned we have an absolutely amazing panel today, a very good looking panel. Uh, probably the best looking audience I've ever seen. Never said that before to an audience, so you've done well. Um, I'd, like to, I'd actually like to get a sense of uh, who's in the crowd. So, hands up if you've just recently graduated. Well done, congratulations. Uh, how about if you're closing in on graduation, sort of I guess you can see the ceremony coming. Well done. What about uh, it's a little while off, sort of maybe a few years ago, you're early on in your degree. Anyone in that category? Well done. Uh, and the, I guess the more vintage in the crowd. So anyone who, anyone who graduated when Instagram didn't exist. <laughs> Very good. Well, as I mentioned, we have an amazing uh, panel here tonight. I'd like to introduce them. So to my left, we have Amy O'Sullivan. Amy uh, completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Political Science and Anthropology and Honours in International Relations. To top that, she couldn't get enough of UWA so she came back a number of years later to complete her MBA. Amy has 10 years experience across federal and state government including two and a half years as a policy advisor to former WA Premier, the Honourable Colin Barnett and a year ago Amy decided on a career change and is now broadening her experience in the private sector as a senior consultant with EY. But Amy, I actually want to ask you, what is a gillaroo?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's an Australian cowgirl.
0: And, and why is that important in the story of Amy?
1: Well, that's what I did as my gap year. I had a year of uni and decided to uh, take off to the Pilbara for a year as a gillaroo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to preface this, I asked all the panellists to give me something juicy that you can't find on LinkedIn because when you sit there you Google and so To Amy's left, I'd like to introduce Angad Singh. Angad Singh tripped and fell into entrepreneurship in his early 20s and has since started several businesses in various fields. He graduated from UWA as a dentist in 2009 and after a few years leased a space and started his own private practice. Soon after that, he started developing small to medium sized residential and real estate projects, finding his passion in property development. He kept building his knowledge for the, for the past decade and then sold his dental practice business last year to found a boutique construction company which special, specialises in custom houses and small to medium scale property developments. He now spends most of his time immersed in real estate and property development, but still sees patients on a part-time basis. So he's a, he's a dentist, as a side hustle. <laughs> 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 so, although, I'd, Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about the world of rum.
2: Yeah, so um, there's a tiny little island next to Mauritius called Reunion Island. Yes. And it's a, it's a volcanic island. And one of the things um, that they're really well known for is their rum. And one time I went to Reunion Island and we started uh, drinking this rum, which tasted like flamed bananas. And it was the first time I'd ever tried it. And I loved it so <coughs> much that I started uh, importing it, actually. And so more recently, I guess we've started a rum importing company. as as another side hustle, if the dentistry doesn't work out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Uh, And to Angus' left, Sandy Angie. Sandy has broad ranging expertise and experience in diverse fields, combining design and creativity with legal and commercial skills. Sandy started her career as a corporate lawyer in 1997 and worked for eight years in Australia's leading law and accounting firms, including KPMG, Herbert Smith Freehills and EY. In 2006, Sandy returned to university to study architecture. And in the past 12 years has gained experience in a wide range of architecture roles, including the Office of Government of Government Architect and Synerix Environmental and Hassell. Sandy's current role is project manager of the historic Heart Project, which looks at the reinvigoration of the east end of the Perth CBD through implementation of social and cultural initiatives. Alongside her work on the Historic Heart Project, Sandy undertakes residential architecture work and has a regular column in the West Australian newspaper called Meet the Architect. So as if all of that's not interesting enough, Jane Fonda, why is Jane Fonda <laughs> and hypercolour clothing of interest to you, Sandy?
3: Well, I'm a bit older than the other panellists, so I grew up in the 80s, which was the Jane Fonda era. So as my side gig at uni, I was actually an aerobics instructor and state earnings champion, so <laughs> something else to add to the recipe. I think that's on Facebook but not on LinkedIn. <laughs> I like the side hustles at this time, it's really good.
0: Chris Bates, last but not least. Chris is the MD of KBE Human Capital, Western Australia's leading legal recruitment firm. Chris specialises in partnership recruitment, establishing new law firms and facilitating law firm mergers and acquisitions. He's the founding director of KBI, which is one of Australia's fastest growing boutique insurance companies, a director of the Vine House, founding chairman of the Piddington Society, a former director of Parkerville Children and Youth Care, where he chaired the fundraising and board selection committees, and chairman of and consultant to a number of boutique commercial law firms. Prior to establishing KBI human capital, Chris was a director of specialist recruitment companies, Interpeople People and Rig Force. He's a former lawyer, having completed his studies at UWA and Chris is now a guest lecturer at several law law schools across WA. Beyond business in Western Australia, Chris and a team of Australian-Brazilian business associates were involved with the successful acquisition and vend of a Brazilian iron ore project. In 2011, Chris became one of the youngest people in Western Australia to be recognised in the 40 Under 40 Awards and was awarded a top performer across WA for combined business and charitable initiatives. However, Chris, what did you actually want to be when you grew up?
4: Well, when I was a little one, probably until I was about 25, actually, I genuinely believed I was going to be a lion tamer and, uh, and travel around the world in the circus. So um, it was either that or a lawyer, and I think arguably really, I probably chose the more dangerous of the two professions. So uh, <laughs> I'm also not the tallest bloke in the world, so I wouldn't have stood much of a chance against the lion. So, uh, yeah, still a way to go.
0: So I want to wind the clock back here. Probably not quite back to the lion tamer dream days, but perhaps... Early university days or end of university days, has the career panned out the way you thought it would pan out?
4: I'm probably the, the poster boy for not worrying about where the future's going to take you. And you know, I fell into law school. I had a scholarship to go to as an Air Force Pilot, which was my dream. I had flying lessons my whole teenage years, um, and I failed my I test just before my T exams, so I was absolutely devastated. And my principal actually found out and, and gave me a, a leadership scholarship into law school, which was you know, completely by chance. Um, I was exactly the same, um, you know, I, I didn't know about the clerkships, so I was late applying and all those sort of things and I fell into KPMG, so I worked there for a, you know, a, about a year and a half before moving to a boutique law firm and I was really, I'm really fortunate, I've always followed my heart and really you know, gone after the things I'm passionate about and um, I actually spent a month teaching refugees in Northern Thailand when I was 23 and just came back thinking, you know, I've found something I'm really passionate about and for better or worse it wasn't tax law, um, probably all line-taping. Um, so I, I went and took out a, a, a loan um, and ended up starting up my first business with a couple of friends and um, it sort of all all snow rocketed and, and snowboarded from there. But if I if you'd said, you know, when I started my law degree that I'd be sitting here as a panellist, you know, potentially sharing our own insights about what we've done in business, I'd absolutely say not. So. The short answer is no, I had no idea that I'd be sitting here and I'm very grateful to be. I
0: want to, I want to pick up on that point you made about passion and I guess following a, a path that you probably didn't naturally believe you were going to follow. I mean, Angad, you're a perfect example, a guy who does dentistry as a side hustle. You know, looking back, uh, what was the value in doing your degree or well, is is in 2018 a degree still valuable?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, a degree at university, you, you learn a set of skills, but you also learn how to acquire a set of skills. Um, you build amazing relationships. I mean, when I started out in property development, the first people I, I dealt with were dentists that I knew through university. Uh, there's no way I would have been able to get finance if I wasn't, you know, <laughs> a qualified dentist. And like, I guess it, you you should think about a university degree more like a stepping stone, not necessarily like a you know a footpath. Um, absolutely, if you're looking to change, or you're looking to get into something else, I think having a university degree will definitely be better than if you didn't.
0: Mm, and change, that's something you've certainly done, eh? You've mm. gone arts, government, straight out of uni you went over S. I right? did, yeah. yeah. So what, what made you decide to do that, and you know, how did the degree help you get there?
1: Um, so I did an arts degree, and I had quite an interest in um, international and security policy. Um, so for me, when I left, I knew that the opportunities for me would be in Canberra. Um, and so I applied to a whole bunch of graduate programs, and I managed to get into the defense graduate program. Um, you know, we were just chatting earlier. Uh, when I fir- when I first finished my degree, um, less than 12 months later, I was in a role that I didn't even know knew existed. Um, I was working alongside army officers developing Business proposals for military capability, and I didn't even know that job existed as a civilian, um, and just absolutely loved it. So um, yeah, I'd say exactly the same. You know, when you're first leaving uni, um, just it's all about the experience um, because you don't know what opportunities are actually out there until you get out there.
0: Mm, absolutely. I want to come back to the to the job hunting, but I guess Sandy, you're someone who's done exactly the same. You've made a huge transition from from lawyer to architect, so. Take me through, has uh, have the skills that you've learnt at uni set you up well for that transition? And the uh, same question, is, is the uni degree still valid? Well?
3: Yeah, so I actually always wanted to be an architect from when I was a small child, but I finished school in 91. It was a recession in Australia. It's hard to believe now, but interest rates were 18%, which is crazy. So construction industry was struggling, you know, the profession of architecture was really tough to get a job. And so I'd done quite well at school and I was kind of pushed by you know family teachers into law. Um, and so you know I studied law first, got through my degree, I studied law and commerce, went straight into first accounting firms, law firms, um, completed the qualifications to become a barrister and solicitor. And it wasn't till later on that I decided to follow my passion for architecture and went back to uni. But you know, I actually have no regrets at all about the way I did things, so I'm so happy that I did law first. I think you know, a law degree really sets you up in so many um, aspects of you know, life and jobs. You know, it teaches you how to think, you know, to create coherent arguments, to write concisely. And you know, so all of those skills you carry through to no matter what you do, whether it's architecture, not-for-profit boards, and, and just life in general. So mm. definitely valuable.
0: Yeah, so I'm sensing a real theme, I guess, across the entire panel of broad skills from the degree, potentially, mm-hmm. and, and opportunity, I guess, uh, and, and what that sort of opens up. So, Amy, you touched on, I guess, the, the first job out of uni, mm-hmm. which, uh, as we saw from our quick straw poll, there's quite a lot of people who are probably in that position right now. Pondering mm-hmm. any any advice for searching for that first job? What, what made you decide to go from little old Perth to probably a little smaller Canberra?
1: Yeah. Gosh, I think first out of uni, it's just all about the experience, you know, treat the first couple of years as a bit of an apprenticeship. Um, You know, I think back to when I first left uni and I didn't know, you know, half of the job opportunities um, that are available to me now even existed. Um, So, yeah, as I said, the reason why I went to Canberra was I I thought there would be more professional (laughs) opportunities for me there. Um, and I just put a, a time limit on it really. Um, I didn't necessarily want to leave my friends and family from Perth, and I like Perth, I, I love living here. Um, but it was just a, um, you know, it was a, a, I guess I wanted to go no more than five years, and I, I stuck to that, um, to that timeline and came back to Perth with really unique experience. And I guess for you know, all the other job interviews that I've, that I've had, that's always been a bit of a talking point as well, because it is a little bit different. So it's been good.
0: And I guess your your degree was contrasted a little bit by where you you studied essentially a profession so mm. did you, coming out of uni, did you have a plan? We, a dentist and this, this is what I'm going to do or what, what did that
2: look like? Yeah, um, no absolutely not actually. Um, to be honest, uh, so I moved to Tassie for a couple of years after I graduated. Uh, not one of my best friends wanted to go down and that was essentially my incentive. In fact the reason I did dentistry was one of my best friends in high school wanted to do dentistry and I didn't know what to do. Like um, okay, how you
0: choose a football team. Yeah, so I
2: kind of, um, I kind of got into dentistry and I didn't like, I, I kind of feel like you kind of learn to love something as well. Like if you, if you commit to it and you focus on it and you engage with it, you will find something inside that that you love. You know, so for example, in dentistry, some people are really good with their hands. They might really enjoy that part of dentistry. Some people are really good with um, communicating with patients. They might love that side of it. You know, there's like lots of different things and you just have to pick that part of it that you love. Do you know what I mean? But I don't think, certainly I didn't have a plan. Maybe some people do. Um, and then I guess when I started real estate, I just got into that. You
0: know. So those early days for you were, you, you went out and found your passion, Was that, or it found you, or?
2: Yeah, well, I guess if you're open to it and if something interests or excites you and you just engage with it. Mm-hmm. So, actually, the first practice I started working for was a, um, they were part of a management group. Uh, and that was one of the most, or the biggest management groups, man, management consultants for dentistry, basically. And like talking with those guys and understanding how a business works really was what drove my passion in dentistry. Um, yes, I've taken that and gone elsewhere, but I found that through dentistry, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah,
0: fantastic. And Chris, you're, you're a guy that's definitely gone after his passion, especially those, those early days. Take, take me through, did, did you have a plan coming out of uni and what did uh, well, that look like? I
4: think it's interesting, you know, looking back, and it drives our business ventures now, we always have a clear vision and a big plan. So, you know, broadly we know, you know where we want to end up and, and where that looks. But I think if you get too focused on planning the details, you miss the journey and you miss the experience, and you actually get some tunnel vision on the experiences and opportunities that present. But I guess in in providing some advice or um, sharing some insight, particularly to the new graduates, these days people have at least three careers, not jobs, in their lifetime. So there's every likelihood, it's actually more likely than not, that the first career you find yourself in is not the one that you're going to end up in. And my advice, therefore, would be, when you're finding a role, like look for people, people, individuals, leaders that you want to learn from. And build your networks during that that experience. You know, all the boards and things I've been lucky enough to, to jump on has been because I've got a relatively strong network and certainly for my age um, I'm able to pull people together from across Perth and that is something that no one can ever take away from you. So um, in answering your question, I certainly didn't have a clear plan as to where I wanted to end up. Um, but I had a, a pretty clear idea of how I wanted to go about it, and that was following something that I really enjoyed. Mm, yeah. And
0: since so Sandy, Chris makes a point there about career changes, so we're not mm. talking job changes, we're only three complete. And you're someone who absolutely has done that. Um, what was that like? Was it uh, was it a scary thing, sort of giving up the world of law and? Yeah, I guess it
3: was. I mean, the reason, like I said, I studied law first was it was a security thing. It was, you know, I knew it would be hard to get a job in architecture, so I went the secure path of studying law and commerce to get a secure job. And interestingly, I thought Matt's comments about his first job and applying to business news were interesting because with my first job application, I actually was a little bit the opposite. I was super prepared. I took a job that I was offered a year before I graduated to have that job security at the end, to know that I had, you know, a job to go to. And that was my first job was a KPMG. And you know, I knew it probably wasn't what I wanted to do ultimately, but I knew they had a great graduate programme that I was going to learn. You know, it was great people and a great learning environment. So I think, you know, as long as you're always learning each step that you take and that you're also doing something that, you know, you can find a passion in some aspect of it from you know, perhaps what you're learning, the people that you're meeting, then, you know, it's, yeah, for me, like the other panelists, my career's been very organic. Opportunities have come along, you know, I've taken them, I've gone for change. And I think that kind of, like, makes the journey a lot more interesting rather than having, you know, some path that you're on and just working towards that every day. It's just enjoying each day as it Absolutely. comes.
0: And you made a comment to me. Earlier on about the stars aligning in mm. terms of, uh, I guess, making career changes and transitions, but I guess it's not luck, is it? Mm. This point about going back and doing the hard arts. So you went arts graduate and then went into business school, did an MBA here at yep. here at uh, UWA. Tell, tell me about that decision. What what drove that?
1: Yeah. So I had come back to Perth and I was working in state government, and you know I had a good job. It was. Um, I enjoyed it, but I was sort of cruising a little bit and was looking for another challenge. And um, I was having a conversation with my boss at the time, and he said to me, why don't you consider doing an MBA? And it wasn't even on my radar. Um, I had this, I suppose, stereotypical view of the MBA student being, you know, from Harvard or, um, you know, investment banking background, not an arts graduate who'd been in government, you know, their whole career. Um, But we spoke about it a little bit more and... um, I decided, no, I think that would actually be a really good idea to to go and do that. And, you know, while I had some sort of quite good generalist skills from my undergrad, the MBA would help to, um, you know, develop more of those finan- financial and accounting uh, skills. And, you know, again, the MBA helped me to understand what opportunities there were, not just in private sector, but also in government as well in terms of you know how you approach a problem in a very structured way and all the things that you learn from an MBA so um, so yeah that, that was really good and I think you know the, the networking that I um, that I had during the MBA was awesome um, you know one of the biggest mistakes I probably made when I left uni for the first time was I didn't keep in contact with uh, the people that I studied with and um yeah, so I definitely improved on that during the MBA and I've got a really good network of, of friends that are across many different industries in Perth now. And that um, was very, uh, you know, that helped me get my job in EY, I think.
0: So, so you recommend a LinkedIn profile to go <laughs> alongside the Instagram account?
1: Oh, definitely,
5: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Very good. And, um, I think you're someone who's very entrepreneurial, obviously, coming, coming out of uni, what, do you think it's worth considering smaller organisations in terms of opportunity? Both Sandy and Amy touched on, I guess, networking and getting some skills under the belt, even though it might not be the dream job. What's your view on sort of small versus big in any way? Government, for example?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think a better way to think about career now is to think about projects and skills. Mm-hmm. So you do projects to acquire skills. And there may be projects that you can't do yet because you don't have the skills for them. So you should look to do projects where you can acquire those skills. And usually the easiest way to acquire a certain skill set is like jump and hope, you know what I mean? (laughs) So like, yeah, I think the the big organizations certainly have very structured training programs, great networks, that kind of thing. Um, But throwing yourself into a small organization where you just have to be everything and just learn, I think would certainly, help as well. Yeah.
0: If, uh, if graduating Angad walked through that door right now and you said to him. Um, he wouldn't listen.
5: Was, you know, <laughs> he wouldn't pay <laughs> attention.
0: What, what skills would you say to him that are worth going out and trying to learn that you, know, you mentioned requires some skills yeah. early on as a grad. What are those skills?
2: Um, so I, I guess you would start with like broad, broad skills. So probably like everyone should learn at least to a basic level communication and sales. Uh, probably everyone, let's just say you pick an industry, let's just say you're in a building, I think you should at least try to understand engineering to a basic level. Um, I, I think you should, I guess if you choose an industry and then there's usually different paths to that industry, I think you should at least be able to have a, an intelligent conversation with every professional in that industry. So I guess it would. You, you'd have to choose what industry you want it to be in and then decide what skills you need from there, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a hard it's a hard question. Yeah. I, I can definitely understand
0: the I guess gaining a base knowledge of that industry. I I went from a motorsport background into management consulting, and yeah. I was saying to the guys earlier on that it was like learning French for me. I had to mm-hmm. walk into a room and I had to first I had to go and buy a suit. I never I never wore a suit prior to that, so <laughs> so I can def, I can definitely relate to that. So um, I guess I want to continue that theme, Sandy. You made a transition in uh, industry. Was, did that require a new kind of relearning? And we're well, not to the extreme that I had to go and learn how to wear a suit. But.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So when I went back to study architecture, I you know had been out of university a long time. Instagram was now a thing, and you know, and computing. I mean, had I studied architecture in '92, the first time around, when I was in law, it was all hand drawings. Now everything was on computer and three D and and really high tech. So. You know that was a real challenge for me because you know being almost double the age of most of the first year architecture students who'd grown up with an iPad in their hands. That was a real challenge, but you know I, I worked hard and kind of overcame that, and that's just been so beneficial to me in you know not only my architecture work but also my work as a project manager for Historic Heart because all of those skills I've acquired with InDesign or Photoshop and all that graphic kind of thing, that really helps in a small business because you know when you don't have all the resources of a large organisation, as Ankit was saying, you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything, so you need to be able to do the marketing and PR and, and have you know a really broad range of skills and the only way you can learn that is by throwing yourself into the deep end whether it's going back to study again or taking on a challenging new role and that's the only way you can learn it.
0: So it sounds to me like the learning actually never really stops. It's not like you graduate and then no. oh, I'm done, <laughs> I'm set, <sort> of. <laughs> Yeah,
3: well, I think that's what I was saying before, like for me what I enjoy is is learning. So obviously through my degrees but then also the different jobs that I've had and also being passionate about, you know, what I do. So I think there's been a lot written about millennials being, you know, the, um, the generation of wanting to work for things or on things so that they're passionate about rather than just for a paycheck. So although I'm too old to be a millennial, that's definitely the way I operate. You know, it's not just the paycheck that I'm after. I want to be learning. I want to be passionate about what I'm doing and Mm. hoping to give back in whatever I do.
0: Absolutely. Chris, you described yourself as a... Baby boomer and a Gen Y, whatever. Baby boomer
4: a Gen Y body from a work ethic perspective, and probably a millennial when it comes to uh, wanting to do what I'm passionate about. So, a strange creature.
0: <laughs> so, walk we'll me through. What, what do you mean by all that? That eclectic mix.
4: Oh look, I mean um, one of the challenges is perhaps a, a perception from some of the you know, the, um, the older business leaders of Gen Y and millennials about work ethic and things like that. And for better or worse, I was always really lucky and instilled a, a pretty pretty hard work ethic. But I combined that. Ideally, or try to anyway, with um, being as innovative as possible. And you know, for us, the newest people to our business are always the most valuable. They bring all the information, new ideas on technology, and new ways of doing things. So, you know, we're always really excited about you know, getting new people in, into the business. It's interesting. You, you mentioned around small business, and um, the challenge at the moment is business is changing faster than ever before. You know, whole industries are getting wiped out, not necessarily changing. So anyone who has a crystal or says they have a crystal ball as to what it's going to look like is well, either very lucky or probably incorrect. Um, so for us, we're always looking for a combination of things. And we, we hire probably 40% for character. You know, character and attitude for us is, is 40%. 40% is ability and smarts. And 20% is, is track record and experience. Because I'm not really too bothered about where you've been. I really want to know that you can go where we're going. And... Our business is changing so quickly with the industry, and we need people who can change with and for us. You know, that make us better by changing us. I mean, I'm still relatively young, but I'm I'm getting older, and my I get set set my ways in certain ways. So, people that bring it to us and you know are at our heels and want our job are the sort of people that we're always looking for.
0: Mm. So, I guess that energy early on is a is a real positive as a graduate.
4: You definitely need it, depending on the path that you're going after, but. Um, yeah, it's certainly something that if you've got that level of energy and you're willing to put in the hard yards early in your career, um, you're able to really have a, a fantastic platform for later on.
0: Early, early, on, when you had all that, I'm not saying you don't have the energy now, but when you were when you were a graduate, did you have people steering you in terms um, of like mentors, I
4: guess? No, I took the most expensive MBA in the history of the world, and um, you know did it all peak headedly and thinking that I knew everything, and. Um, best thing I ever did was probably get to early thirties and realise that I know nothing. You know, um, I'm just at the beginning of my journey of learning, and uh, the more I put up my hand and become the student rather than the teacher, the better my career and probably life gets. So, the last few years, mentors have been absolutely key to everything we do, both personal and business. You know, I always and I, I always believe that you can only ask. I mean, one of my mentors was the chief justice. Um, one of our mentors is a guy who is considered to be one of the greatest business leaders in North America, he actually sits on one of our boards just because we wrote him a letter and asked him to. Um, and there's a few other things. So with that experience and you know, you're constantly learning and you don't know what you don't know. So seeking out mentors, we would have saved ourselves a lot of time, um, a lot of money, and probably have a few more hairs left had I uh, done it earlier. So definitely key.
0: I'm going to ask you two questions. Have you had mentors? And how did you go about mm-hmm. finding them, if yes?
1: Um, <laughs> I've got a, a bit of a strange, I suppose, approach to mentoring. Um, I seek a lot of inspiration from my peers, and um, particularly from a gender perspective, um, the female um, friends and and colleagues of mine who are absolutely killing it in the industry. Um, you know, we we support each other quite a lot. Um, you know, I've had people that I've sought advice from, like uh, bosses and, um, you know, people that I admire. Um, in terms of an actual mentor whose career I want to follow exactly, I haven't found that yet.
0: So, so I guess the, the image, I guess sometimes when we talk about mentors, we think of this, you know, figurehead that we look mm. up to, not necessarily, doesn't necessarily look like that?
1: Um, I haven't found
2: it yet for myself.
0: What about uh, Angad, have you had mentors over the journey?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. But I think like the the broader point, and I think Amy's kind of getting to this, is that mentors are a part of the learning strategy. There, there are things that you can't learn from textbooks because they're too vague or they're too nuanced that without someone that's actually been through the trenches, you just don't understand them. So mentors kind of fit in for that. Um, where, they, where, where some mentors, or where mentorship doesn't necessarily do very well is in things that are completely different or new because no one's had that experience yet and in this world where things are consistently changing, it may well be that the mentors that you have are giving you advice that's outdated, do you know what I mean? So like, yes absolutely I have mentors, Um, I think you should search and find the right mentors and I think you should be very careful as to what questions you ask them and, and see if they are the right people to give you advice that you're on the points that you're searching for.
0: So I guess it's a little bit like the uni experience in itself, don't just take things on Facebook. face. Absolutely. And form yeah. your own opinion. And yep. yep, yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, Sandy, would you say mentors are just part of the, the wider kit bag? They're part of a network that you might have? Yeah, definitely.
3: I think, you know, I agree with Amy. There's not kind of one person that you look to and think, you know, I want to be just like you because all of us are so, Different, and we, you know, our careers evolve differently. But there's definitely been, you know, throughout my career in every place that I've worked, there's kind of been one person that stood out, you know, that I've kind of used as my mentor. So, you know, and I think people are, you know, often quite flattered and happy to help. Like if you ask questions and, and want advice, you know, if you seek out, you know, one person that you identify with that you can you connect with, and you feel like, you know, I. I can imagine being like you in this role, and you know, and using that relationship to to help you with your career. So I think, you know, with law, with architecture for me, it's kind of like an apprenticeship in a way. And you really do need that one person or a couple of people to teach you the skills that you're not going to learn in a textbook um, or, or necessarily just on the job. You kind of need a little bit of, of guidance. So I think it's you know, an evolving thing. You'll have a series of mentors throughout your career and throughout the different roles that you have.
0: And so do you have any advice on, I guess, building out your network, gaining some mentors, gaining just a network broadly?
3: Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's really important to look after relationships. So when you're at uni, like the people that I've met with, have, you know, met with, that I went to uni with, have become lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it's we've all gone different paths and we might not speak to each other every week but you know when we see each other you know it's like no times passed and I think that connection is really important because you'll meet them throughout your career in different roles you might end up on a board with them later on or you know on the other side of a transaction with them and that relationship that you have will really benefit you and you know and they'll then help you meet other people and so it's just important to kind of be out there and you know, maintain the friendships that you have and stay connected and turn up like everyone's turned up tonight, which is a great start. Just turn up at things, join the art gallery or join you know, different sports or interest groups because the wider and broader your networks, then you know, the more people you'll meet which will, you know, will benefit you personally as like an enjoyment thing but in your career as well.
0: And I guess I would add to that in that your uni friends, ask them what they do because my current lawyer is a friend who I used to hang out with on Oak Lawn and the tab and it wasn't until about 10 years after uni I asked her, what kind of law do you practise? And she told me and I said, that's actually what I need right now. And so (laughs) as it turns out, highly, highly valuable your network. Um, I I guess everyone in the crowd here is about to go and do some fantastic networking. I'm, I'm gonna throw the question out to the panel uh, any, I guess, networking tips, perhaps a conversation opener? Chris, you're nodding your head like you might have a few good uh, ones up
4: the sleeve. I think there's a, a couple of things. I always, I mean, I think the value, net, networks are invaluable. It's the one thing that no matter what you're doing, your career will go with you. And I always fundamentally believe to, to give first and take second. You know, a lot of people are going out and, you know, they're, they're always in it for what's in it for them. If you start with the philosophy of genuinely giving first, um, it's amazing what will happen. The other is just in a networking situation like this, um, particularly for those that are about to graduate, it's it's never about meeting as many people as you can and shaking as many hands as you can. I'd always suggest having two or three really meaningful conversations where, you know, on the night you actually agree to catch up for a coffee or something afterwards and maintain and build that relationship the same as you would with a friendship.
0: Sandy, any networking tips for the crowd or a conversation opener?
3: Yeah, well I would start by saying hi to the people that are sitting on either side of you if you don't know them already. I know when I went back to study architecture the second time, people would sit in lectures and not talk to each other and be on their iPhones or computers, but it's like such a good way to start that, you know, you can make a friend sitting right next to you now, exchange cards, connect on LinkedIn and stay connected because obviously you're both here today, which is something in common already. So that's already a good foundation for, you know, a networking relationship.
2: Yeah honestly really really good points. Um, Give first, uh, quality not quantity, Um, just say hello to start, Um, maybe something to add would be just be really curious, like you don't have to know what to ask, like if something comes to your mind just be humble and ask, you know, Um, people will often tell you all about what they do, what they, you know, and things that they need will become very clear. Um, so you know, finding opportunities where you can add value to them is is really you know a, a product of being very curious about what they do.
0: Mm, great. Amy, any conversation openers for the first awkward two seconds <laughs> after we break and, and I'm staring at each other we've done the selfie and. Well,
1: oh gosh, the awkward opener. Love it. Um, <laughs> I think. Well, I'm an introvert, so I will probably have the most awkward opening <laughs> conversation starter. Um, but my advice would probably be to swap it around, and if you're already in a pair or a group, just keep an eye out for those people who might be sort of floating around, and you know, asking if they happen to be by themselves and would they like to join the conversation, because that's you know a, a much um, nicer way of joining than trying to kind of muscle your way into you know people that are already deep in conversation. So.
0: Yeah. So even introverts can network, is what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and I guess for what it's worth, if, you, if you're struggling with opening questions, maybe start with, what did you want to be when you, when you grew up? <laughs> did you ever do aerobics as a youngster? What's your favourite rum? <laughs> and, uh, did you know what a gillaroo was before tonight? <laughs> uh, I think that uh, wraps up the panel section of tonight. So if you don't mind perhaps putting your hands together for our panel. I think we're going to throw to some Q and A, a few questions from the crowd. And Josh has got a roaming microphone over here. So, and two, we've got two. So throw your hands up if you've got a question. No one ever wants to go first. Um, so
1: I have a question for Chris. I think, because um, you mentioned that you have been in different industries and uh, um, successfully, uh, maintained the. Uh, relationship uh, with your mentors, so I'm particularly interested in like,
0: how should we keep the professional uh, mentoring or any other professional relationship when you are kind of maybe aware with the industry or kind of
1: not have like, too much common topic to talk with those mentors and the
5: professional networks.
4: Yeah, that's yeah, a really good question. Um, I mean, my whole career is built around maintaining strong relationships. and. I think it's like any relationship, whether it's with your partner, with your friends, um, it takes effort and time, and there's only so many that you can maintain, and, and, and you know you do maintain some at certain stages in your career, and others at others, but there'll always be those people that you know you maintain throughout your career, and coming back to the give first, take second. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing worse actually in a networking or sort of scenario where people are reaching out to you for help only when they need it, um, which does happen fairly commonly. So it is. It's quite challenging, but it is about maintaining those relationships as best as you can throughout the course of your career. Yeah. And you know, coming back to your question around mentors, um, often it's quite interesting to find mentors that are not in your industry. You know, people in your industry are often doing exactly the same as you're doing anyway, and they might be more senior, but you know, from a legal perspective, I love looking to talk to people in IT or oil and gas or mining because they're doing something completely different, and their systems and processes in the legal environment are really fascinating.
0: We have a question over this
5: one. I guess this is a question for the entire panel. Um, I recently, well, I would say a year ago I graduated and to say I went through my university degree and I didn't take up all those opportunities, maybe I was young and naive, not prepared for what I was going into, do you have any advice into, yes, you've already graduated, but how do you still you know, apply for those jobs, even though you haven't made the most, let's just say, your degree when you were there, uh, and now that you're out in the real world and you're just maybe a little bit lost?
2: Can, can you tell us a bit more about what you do, or what industry?
5: Um, I did a Bachelor of Commerce and Management, and I also work in my family's small business, so we run a patisserie bakery. And I went into, last year I'd, like went to Poland and I did all these additional um, like courses or like programs to learn more about pastry cooking and, and chocolates and stuff. So I just, I do everything in the business. So I can do barfing, I can do this, but sure. it's all very small scale. And I try to look up to these, you know, you guys who have taken on like, you know, very much an intellectual standpoint, and I want to see how can I, you know, implement that for me? How can I learn when the only people I have to learn from are my parents who are 60-plus, and like you say, they're a little outdated. Good, <laughs> Good question. <laughs>
2: Good. Um, look, to, to start with, I wouldn't sell your experience short because learning to run a small business is like really learning everything. Um, you know, learning marketing and learning how to like talk to people and do customer service and to like understand how systems and processes work—it is not easy. Um, and I, and I think if you're selling it short when you do, if you if you are trying to leave and get into a role, if you don't understand how significant the stuff you're learning is, you'll probably never be able to communicate how much you actually know. You know what I mean? Um, and then the other thing is, like, there are so many books that you can use, like hundreds and hundreds of books, which I think are a really good starting point. Um, the way I would do it is if you've got a role or something that you're trying to achieve or, or reach out for, is, is look at the thing that's, that's holding you back the most. Is it, um, is it your ability to network? Maybe go get a couple of books on that. Is it your ability to understand something about the economy? Is it whatever that thing that you think <coughs> is the biggest issue holding you back, is just try read about that for a little while. And then so on and so forth until you know you get to where you want to be.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'm not sure if you've had job interviews and maybe you've missed out, but maybe approaching the people where you've missed out on a job that you have applied for and just say, "Look, I understand I didn't get it, but you know, is it possible to catch up so you can give me some feedback as to where you know I may have not gone so well in the interview and just find out you know how you can improve your interview skills if you are seeking to to get another job. So. Um, yeah, I think I would, I would add that to that advice is work out, you know, don't give up, keep applying and, you know, keep going for, you know, a, a range of opportunities and, you know, find out from, you know, the experiences that you've had, you know, where you've missed out, why that's happened.
4: One of the other things, you know, the likelihood of you securing the, the dream job at WA Business News when you leave university is, is relatively low, you know, it's... Um, it's a journey and as long as you're learning, I'd be going for some of those roles. As long as you're learning and picking up skills from people that you, know, you respect, it, it's really important. But the other aspect is, in the application process, it's where a lot of people fall down. They don't actually understand how they can fill the gap that is there. So they'll send in a generic application that they've sent to 20 other firms and frankly it's irrelevant. Um, if you know what the pressure points are in our business, we'll make a role for anyone. If they can show us that they can add value, We've the best people we've hired over the course of my 11 years running these businesses that we haven't had active roles for, and they've hit me up on LinkedIn or sent me something, an email, and show me there's a gap in my business that they can fill. I say, you're right, um, let's have a chat. And um, you know, if they're as good as they seem, look through the application process. So understanding what the value is you can bring to the organisation and articulating that really clearly is absolutely key.
0: And I think I think a point that Chris made in the chat about genuine networking, that's where you can find out what those pain points are, sort of taking a genuine interest in the person and finding out what's challenging you, how can I help you? I think, I think there's a question down the front. Yeah, hi guys, thanks
1: so much for a great discussion, I absolutely agree, don't sell your experience short, that is really, really valuable advice. Um, it seems like...
5: Basically, were there times when you questioned yourself, taking
1: that big leap, moving city, changing degrees, going back to uni, or just a side hustle that turned into the main hustle? Were there times when you questioned yourself
5: and kind of what keeps you going?
2: Well, it's nodding, even smiling <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I don't think like, anyone ever gets to the point they stop questioning did I do this? Did I do this? Rise right. is the best. There's, there's a point that you reach where you're like content with it and um, and I, I guess if you keep looking forward, you know, you realise, okay, well, what, didn't, what, didn't, what wasn't the way that I kind of wanted it to be and how do I move forward? But um, yeah, I know at least for me when I read these books and I used to listen to podcasts and stuff and it really just seems like all these guys kind of haven't figured out and they don't <laughs> and neither of <laughs> us do either. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? So like... Um, Yeah, absolutely. Questioning is actually probably the most important thing though, because that's where you you learn about your own priorities. Like, okay, well, what is it that I really want? Where am I, where do I really wanna go next? And that's usually the part that starts everything that comes after it.
1: I think when you first leave uni as well, this is generally speaking, you know, you are in your 20s, you don't have a mortgage or kids to look after, so what better opportunity do you have to go travel anywhere in the world to pursue a career? Option um, and develop unique experience. So, um, the worst that can happen really well in my experience was that it didn't work out and I've gone home to mum and dad. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just went for it. And I guess, you know, you, throughout your career, you have um, times when you'll make a calculated risk. So, you know, for me personally, I'm not going to throw myself into an industry I know nothing about, I don't think I can, you know, um, have any skills for. Um, At the same time, I don't think I've ever thought that I'm absolutely perfect for any role as well, but I've thought, well, you know, it's interesting and um, it'll lead on to further opportunities, so why not? But, um, yeah, I I agree. I don't think that, you know, you ever feel like you ever become a real expert in anything. There's always other people that know more than you do. Hi there. Um, In this world of,
0: like,
2: impersonal um, job obligations because all of the businesses will advertise on seek and a lot of the time, like the advice you get given um, is to go and into the streets and hit up some places in person. Um, that way you make yourself stand out. But a lot of the time
0: these days, they might say, no, wait until we're actually looking for someone and apply online. How do you make yourself stand out,
4: um, and how do you really apply your networking that you've done in order to actually um, progress further on? Definitely a question for you, Chris. Oh, look, I think it comes back to, um, <laughs> to, to understanding, you know. So a couple of things. I, with the larger the larger the organisation, the more structured the graduate intake process. So if you're going to a Woodside, a BHP, a Rio Tinto, a major law firm, the big four, that is unlikely to work. You know, they're going to have a structured intake process. The first cut's probably going to be by robots that look at your academics. And anyway, so in the small business world, that can certainly work. But you also have to be respectful of the people's time. Like I I can tell you, if I'm working an 18-hour day, there'll probably be two of the hours I'm in the office, and I'll be doing a whole range of other things. So the likelihood of of catching me in that sort of environment is, is slim. But again, it comes back to showing how you can add value. Um, and a business owner or a person in the team will make time for you if you can show that you're gonna bring something to the table. So if you're sending, I'm a graduate, I'm looking for work, I've been looking for work for 12 months, I'm gonna think, why have you been looking for work for 12 months? And then I might say kindly respond, but it, I won't give them much more time than that. If you can show that you've done some research on our business, where we're going, how you can add value, I'll probably actually look at it. Um, so it comes back to understanding the job you're applying for and really nailing it because if it's a generic application or even if you go into the office and shake the hand and drop off your resume what are you doing other than taking up some time so if you, you have to connect the dots of what your experience brings to the table Thank you, that's a Thank you for downloading today's podcast Did you know that UWA has alumni networks in Perth, Albany, Canberra, New York United Kingdom, Hong Kong, Malaysia and Singapore. You can become an active alumni member and stay connected to your UWA community by visiting the alumni website today.